If you guys need to linger, that's fine. But everyone else in your seats, go ahead and open up to 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4 today. I want to get back to that question. As you guys have noticed, we've taken a couple weeks from our sermon series sort of as kind of a, a family conversation, if I could put it that way. And I want to get back to that question of where we're going as a church. And last week I, I said, like, I feel the burden for us is to get back to the basics. We've got to get back to the basics. And if you remember, I mentioned those three specific things from Scripture. Loving the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole self. Loving your neighbor as yourself and then multiplying by making disciples. Those are the three basics. And if you remember, I mentioned the, the multiplication, the number three thing flows out of the number two thing, which is loving others, loving your neighbor. And loving your neighbor flows out of loving the Lord your God. And today, we're going to look at where that love even comes from. And so I just want to read to you again what we talked about last week when it comes to our value, what we value as a church to help us, to help each other on that path of loving God. And it was vulnerable communion that we talked about last week, which says the core of the Christian life is one of glorifying God and enjoying his presence. God calls us to approach him with the vulnerability of little children. And as we approach him, he engages with us and reveals his heart and his beauty to us. Therefore, as a church, we devote ourselves, devote ourselves to vulnerably pressing into him through biblical teaching, passionate worship, and fervent prayer. And I want to ask you guys, how did it go this week in vulnerable communion with your God? Does anybody have any testimonies or victories or anything you want to share? Like, I had this encounter with the Lord this week in vulnerable communion. Was there any, any victory, any progress, any testimonies? While we were on vacation. Yeah, go for it. God for that. I know that was heavy on your heart and mine. Praise God for that. Any other testimonies of just the Lord meeting with you and revealing himself to you?
Praise the Lord. It's 47 years that we were blessed. No more. Praise the Lord. I got saved. Amen. That's, that's awesome. I, w- I just want to share, you know, vulnerably that I had a really difficult week um, with really pressing into the Lord in extended periods of communion. My, my mind was very scattered this week, and it was a struggle. And um, on Friday, my son asked if we could go to the park, and so I, I said yes. And we, we took a hike through the penny pack down by the creek, and he wanted to go out on those big rocks that are in the middle of the creek. And so we did, and like we went out there, we were the only people in the, in the park at that place sitting on this big rock in the middle of the creek, water flowing by, the birds chirping, and it was like all, the whole week, I was like fighting to get before the Lord, and here I am with my son, like just sitting there in creation, and the Lord really did meet us there, and I, like I just started singing uh, on the rock, and Isaac probably thought I was crazy, but um, just wanted to share that. Guys, it's so important that when we hear something on a Sunday that we then apply it and not just be a hearer of the word, right? And so testimonies are the way that we keep each other accountable to applying what we hear. So moving on to today, I'm going to look at that number two thing, loving your neighbor as yourself. And I think if you ask around, if you did a survey, I'm pretty sure most people, if not every person, would say, I do a good job loving people. Like, if I asked you all right now, you'd be like, yeah, I love other people, right? We tend to think of ourselves as loving others well. But I want to just challenge you, as we get into the text for today, to, like, really evaluate how well you actually are loving other people the way that Scripture calls us to. So that's our challenge for today, is to, like, really evaluate we often take it for granted that we're doing well at things, um, but let's, let, let's open our hearts to the Spirit of God to, to show us how well we're really doing with this. And so the value that we have as a church that lines up with this commandment to love your neighbor as yourself is intentional community with one another. And so I want to read to you the statement from what we value as a church. Community is essential for all followers of Jesus. God has intended that those who are saved by Christ are brought into the family of Christ. And so even amidst diverse experiences, backgrounds, cultures, classes, we stand equal with one another and unified in him. The church family is one of God's primary instruments for shaping us and growing us in Christ. And therefore, we celebrate our diversity, and we intentionally devote ourselves to servant leadership, careful compassion, and holistic discipleship in community with one another. So as we consider that statement, we want to look to 1 John. We want to evaluate how we're doing with loving each other, right? So we've got to get to the text to do that. We've got to see what the Bible says it looks like to love other people. So why don't you go ahead and look at 1 John 4 with me. If you got your Bibles, please open them up. 
1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Everybody there? He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he's given us of his spirit. Lord, I pray, even now, just help us to understand your definition of love. Lord, give us more of a picture of that fatherly love that we might be filled up with it, that we might be overflowing with it, and that we might be active in it. Amen. So the first thing I want to ask you guys as we dive into the text, the question to consider is, what is love? And I was hoping Tyler would be here to sing the song when I said that, but he wasn't. What is love? This is one of the most researched things in the world. Everybody wants to know what love is. Everybody wants love. But there still remains so much mystery regarding what it actually is. There's so much disagreement in the world as to its definition. And even if you just do a brief Google search of what is love, after you get past the song, video, and lyrics, there's all these blog posts and articles about what love actually is. And so the world's idea when you skim through those articles, is that love is something like an evolutionary instinct that was developed over time to be able to nurture a child until they're old enough to reproduce. That's the humanistic definition of what love is. It's keeping two parents together long enough so that the family can be continued and evolve. Other people think that love is simply a feeling or an intense emotion, or a complex mixture of emotions. And then in the Christian world, you have people saying, love is not a feeling, it's a choice. It's a decision. So we have to like, cut through all this stuff and say, like, what does God actually say love is? Because if we want to obey the Lord and love him, we've got to know how, right? So the biblical idea is here in 1 John. And it's the word agape. You guys know the word, right? The word agape is in these verses that we just read 15 times. Just in those several verses. So I think it's important, right? It's important for us to look at this and say, okay, what does it mean? What is the Lord talking about? So the first thing that we can see from this text to answer the question, what is love, is that love is active. It almost seems so simple that you might read it and just pass over this but look with me at the beginning of verse 7 
First of all, he calls the people he's writing to loved. You are beloved, right? Beloved, let us love one another. This is a call to action. This is not just an idea. It's not a suggestion. It's not a thought. It is a call to action. Love is an action. It is active. If you turn back a page to 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, he says, Children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If John had to write that in his letter, then that means it is possible to love only partially and only verbally without actually completing the full active love that God calls us to do. Love is active. It's not just a thought. It's not just a feeling. It's not just an intention. And it's not even just a choice, though there is certainly choice involved in loving. I want to remind you of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. He says, let us consider how to stir one another up to doing love and good works. Again, it's active. We've got to stir one another up to do it, right? It is active. Now, moving on, the next thing. Not only is love active, but love originates with God. Look at the second half of verse 7. Let us love one another, for love is from what does it say? Love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of him. Skip down to verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Love originates with God. It comes from God. And this is one thing that I hear often in people who reject Christianity is that they say, well, if God is truly loving, then why would X, Y, or Z happen? Have you guys heard that argument before? If God truly loves people, then why would he allow this or that or that? And what's happening when people ask that question is they're actually trying to understand God according to their definition of love. But we can never understand God according to our terms and our definitions, can we? No, we've got to come to him on his terms and understand him the way that he reveals himself to us. And the fact is that love comes from God because God is love. Do you see that? The definition of love is found in God's character. The source of love is God's own nature. It's not like he's just telling us to do something that is detached from him, but he's actually completely and perfectly loving and all love flows from him. He's the source, he's the definition, and he's the cause of love. And as we'll see later, he's the end of love as well. Remember John chapter 17 in that amazing prayer of Jesus before he goes to the cross. In verse 24, he, he mentions the love that the Father had for him before the foundation of the world. Like, love didn't just start when people started. The Father and the Son and the Spirit, triune, eternal God, had love before the world. It originates with God. 
Now look again at the end of verse 7. I just want to point out something about that. If God is the source of love and his character is love, look what it says. Anybody who does love has been born of God and knows God, and anyone who does not love does not know God. There's something about love that is so intricately connected with who God is that in order to understand what love truly is, you actually have to know God. Just think about that for a minute. In order to truly know what love is, you have to know God. This is really a sobering thought when you start to parse it out. Like, there's... Eight, mil, 8 billion people in the world, right? And everybody has some idea or definition of love. And yet the Lord is saying, only those who know me truly know love. If they don't know me, they actually don't know what true love is, and they're actually not loving the way that I'm calling them to. That is, that's a big statement, right? Now, we have to be careful when you make a statement like that. We cannot forget that every human being is created in God's image, right? And so that means there's some aspect of God's love that is present in every person as the image of God. But there's something unique about this active love that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit had that they pour out to those who love and know them, and it's unique to those who know God. You guys with me? Does that make sense? God must be known in order to know or do this type of love. And there's a good quote that I want to share. I hate to always bring up his name, but it's a John Piper quote. It's just really good, and so I want to share it. I don't want to just overuse certain people, but this quote is amazing. He says, love is from God the same way that heat is from fire. The same way that light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature, and it's woven into what he is. It's part of what it means to be God. The sun gives light because it is light, and fire gives heat because it is heat, and God's nature is love. And in the new birth, those who are born of God, those who know God, that nature becomes part of who you are. When you're born again, God himself is imparted to you, and he dwells in you and sheds abroad in your heart his love, and his aim is that this love be perfected in you. The love that you have as a born-again person is no mere imitation of divine love. It is an experience of the divine love and an extension of that love to others. How amazing is that? That God actually brings us into his nature as he redeems us and regenerates us with his spirit. He gives us that love and it's abiding in us. So there's something unique about those who have been born of God that they can understand love in this different way. The next thing, moving on, to verse 9. Love is active, love originates with God, and love is purposeful. Look at verse 9. He says, In this, the love of God was made manifest, 
In other words, here's, here's, the, here's how we know what love is, that God loves us, that God is love, that he sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Do you see that phrase, so that? God sent his son for a purpose. He sent his son for a particular reason with a particular goal in mind, which is what? What does it say? That we might live through him. Think about that action of God sending his only son to the world. That takes intention. It takes purpose, right? It was no accident. It takes sending, and on Jesus' part, it takes going, right? Even in that action, there's purposeful love happening between the Father and the Son. And it takes, just imagine, heaven and earth. In order for God to send his Son into the world, there is a crossing of barriers. And the barrier between heaven and earth is the greatest chasm that no man can cross, right? Yet God demonstrated and revealed his love by purposefully sending his only son across that uncrossable barrier. Again, remember John chapter 17. Jesus says that eternal life is that we would know God. That's it. To know God is eternal life, and to have eternal life is to know God. It's all wrapped up in communion with God. And later in John 17, verse 26, he, he prays that we would have the same love in us that the Father and the Son had from all eternity. Do you see that? Like Jesus' mission was all to bring us into that communion with him, into that love, that he might make us into that loving character that he is. But it took intention and purpose for that to happen. God sent his only son so that we might have life. You guys on the same page? All right. All right, keep going. The next verse, chap uh, verse 10. Not only is love purposeful, but love is self-sacrificial. Verse 10 says, again, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, the sacrifice that absorbed the wrath of God for your sins. Remember last week I mentioned that verse, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with Jesus Christ the righteous. He is that sacrifice that absorbs the wrath of God that you deserved. That is an incredible sacrifice. And again, we talk about it all the time. And we can never talk about it enough because we don't ever come close to fully understanding the depth of that self-sacrifice that Jesus demonstrated for us. And here John's saying, like, this is how we know that God loves us because he went to such great lengths. There was no cost too high to redeem you. There was no cost too great there was no length that he wouldn't go to to bring back what was lost and to redeem what was broken. Look again back at chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. He says again, By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, 
and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This love is self-sacrificial. And remember, going back to the point before, love is purposeful. God sent his son so that we might have life in him. And it required this sacrifice for that to happen. And so this self-sacrificial love is again with the purpose of bringing back people to God. The self-sacrificial love is about bringing lost people to God, pointing people to God, back to that communion, back to knowing God, right? It's all about God having his people in communion, loving him. I want to remind you of Philippians chapter 2. Let's just turn there and read through a couple verses. Philippians chapter 2 is that famous text that describes this sacrificial love. Paul says, if there is any comfort from love, if there is any participation in the Spirit, if there is any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is a sacrificial love, is it not? That is a love that is unmistakable. I want to ask the wives in here, like, what is something that you love that your husband does which demonstrates his love for you? So I give an example. Cleaning the bathroom. Anything else? All the car maintenance. Any? Say it again. Listening. Yes. Anything else? caring what I'm trying to get at is that even in human relationships with one another we love and appreciate when others serve us right we love when people do things for us we love when people care for us we love when people honor us we love when people give us gifts right my point is that the love that God has that he gives to us is one that is constantly giving. It is constantly sacrificing self for the purpose of bringing that person closer to God. And Jesus took the form of a servant even to the point of dying like a criminal that he might bring you back into his family. And so when you think about these four things, love is active, love comes from God, it originates in him, Love is purposeful. Love is self-sacrificial. 
you stand back and we have a definition of love now. We don't have to question what it is. Love, as defined by God, is a purposeful, active self-sacrifice for the preservation and the benefit of someone else that flows from God and back to God. So how do we respond knowing, like, this is the type of love that God is calling us to do? How do we respond as a church? Look at verse 11. It's so simple. He just says, just do it. Love one another, right? That is the response to the love of God, is to love one another. He says in verse 11, beloved, again, you are loved. You guys hear that? You are loved. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. The love that we are called to walk in, in this church together as family, is that type of love. If this is how God loved us, then we ought to do the same thing to one another. That love is the overflow of having received God's love, right? It comes from God, it flows down to us, and then it's supposed to overflow to others. It is the, the, the most appropriate response to receiving love is to give love. And then look at verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God, no one here on earth with us, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Nobody sees the wind, right, but we all see its effects. Nobody can see electrons running through a wire, but we can see when the lights turn on, right? No one has seen God face to face here, but when we love others the way that he loves us, the effects, the fruit, the, that love is obvious for everyone to see, right? And in fact, that phrase, his love is perfected in us. Think about that. His love is completed in us when we love others. Now, I know we got uh, an electrician in the room. Maybe some of you guys have messed around with electricity a little bit. You have to have what in order to get the lights to come on? You have to have a circuit, right? Yeah. The wire has to connect to something on both ends, right? Back to the source. Think about that. Love comes from God to us, and it is completed in us when we love others, because what does it do? It takes the love from God, and it channels it back to him. It's a circuit. His love is completed when we don't just keep it in here, but when we let the current flow to others. And all of that love, when you, when, when you receive love, you pour it out to someone else, what is that person's response? They, they rejoice. They give glory to God if they're one who knows God, right? Paul talks about that. He says that the obedience of the church, like that, that completes his joy, that completes his love, that perfects the love of God in us when the glory is directed back to Jesus. That's the thing. That's the completion of the circuit. We receive, we give, the glory goes back to God. 
You see that? Does it make sense? His love is perfected in us when we love one another. And then he goes on in verse 13 to say that, like, we have, not only does our obedience in loving others prove God's love, but he actually says we have God living in us as even better proof. We have the Spirit of God abiding in us. And the Spirit's main thing is to testify to the love of God, right? That's what he does. He bears witness about the Father and the Son, making us to know his love. And so, like, not only do we perfect God's love as we love others, and there's proof for God's love there, but his own spirit is within it, like, awakening our hearts to love, stirring up that love within us, helping us to know that love, to understand it more deeply. He, he has given us his spirit. Romans 5 says he's poured out his love in our hearts through the spirit of God, right? Picture a five-gallon bucket being poured out. There's this rush into us of God's love by his spirit. Paul calls this in Colossians 3 the idea of clothing yourselves in love. Like we have God clothing us in love as he dwells in us, right? Okay, so we respond to the love of God by loving not only him, but one another. Remember, that was what we talked about last week, and that's what the beginning of 1 John talks about, is that if we say we are actually loving God, and we're withholding love from each other, then we're lying. The circuit has to be completed in order for our love to be truly the love that God calls us to. And so as a church, we respond to this love like we just wrote down this value of intentional community to take the biblical truths that are all throughout the Bible and smush them together into this phrase, the, into this statement. Like these are the things that we value so that we can all be about this love together. Does that make sense? Like these are the things that we want to prioritize to devote ourselves to so that we're all on this path together of loving our neighbor as ourselves loving one another with the love that God has loved us. And so I want to just put those words back up on the screen. An intentional community with one another is how we grow in this love for each other. Let me just read it again. Community is essential for all followers of Jesus. Think about Genesis 1. God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. God has created us for community in him. So it's essential for anyone who follows Jesus. God has intended that those who are saved by Christ are brought into his family. And so when people from all around the globe, from every tribe, tongue, nation, language, are redeemed and brought into the family of God, Everyone's going to look different, right? Everyone's going to sound different. There's going to be different languages. It's going to be incredibly diverse. That is the reality of the church. Incredible diversity. And so in our church, even we expect that there would be people from all different walks of life coming here to worship God together. And so even amidst those diverse experiences, those backgrounds, 
those cultures, those classes that we may have come from, we stand equal with one another and we stand unified in Christ. And it's in this family together, like this is one of the primary instruments that God uses to grow us in love, to grow us into Christ. And so in order to get there, we want to celebrate that diversity, right? We want to honor the backgrounds that each one of us came from. And we want to devote ourselves to servant leadership, to careful compassion, and to holistic discipleship. Now let me just stop on those phrases for a minute. Servant leadership means that starting with Dan and I, we are not about ourselves. If anybody in this church should be humble, it should be me and Dan. We have to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus that we count others as more significant than ourselves. And so the way that this church will be led is with that heart, with that attitude. And so we also want everybody else who is in any capacity of leadership, whether it's teaching the kids, whether it's helping with hospitality, whether it's the youth group, whether it's music, we want to always be about that servant's heart, having that mind that was in Christ, that we would give everything for the sake of others, right? We want to lead as servants. Picture Jesus washing the feet of his disciples and Peter saying, no, 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 Lord, I should be the one doing that. When Jesus says, no, this is the way that I want you to walk. So that's servant leadership. Careful compassion. The idea of compassion means that you recognize the struggles that someone else is going through and you actually attempt to do something about it. It's having this heart of sympathy and of empathy for the difficulties, the trials that others face, and then stepping in to do whatever you can to help. And the reason we put careful compassion in there is because we live in the city of Philadelphia where everybody has an angle and a scheme, right? Not everybody, everybody does, right? And so as a church in the city, in a context, where people are always trying to work angles, those are the backgrounds that we come from, right? When we've been redeemed out of those things, the Lord doesn't just instantly make all of that disappear, right? He's sanctifying us over time. And so we recognize that there's people from every walk of life that could come into this church family that will need help, that will need compassion. And we're saying we want to value wisdom and carefulness in that, where we're not just enabling sinful patterns to continue, but we want to be so compassionate and so loving, yet also wise and careful in how we do it. Does that make sense? And the third thing is holistic discipleship. This is not like Eastern medicine. This is like the whole person is what we're concerned about. If God calls us to love him with our heart, with our mind, with our soul, and with our strength. That means that our whole self needs to be discipled, right? Not just our mind, not just our physical muscles. We value the transformation and the discipleship of the whole person. And so even as Dan said earlier, like healing of the mind, healing of emotional scars, trauma, physical sickness and pain, 
We want to be people who are physically healthy, yet also deeply in love with God. We value the discipleship of the whole person. All right, do those all make sense to you guys? So those are the things, like we want to value those things, and as we're doing them together in diversity, we want to be honoring that diversity, celebrating it, and preferring one another over ourselves. I want to remind you of what the church is to begin with. You might ask yourself, like, why do I even come here? Uh, maybe, maybe you need to ask yourself that. Like, why do I come here on a Sunday? The biblical idea of the church is simply an assembly of spirit-filled followers of Jesus. It's an assembling of people who are, have Christ abiding in them. That's all the church is. Romans 12 says that those people who have the Spirit of God are members of one body, just like your physical body has different body parts. They're all part of the same body. We are members of one another. Think about that. He says the members belong to each other. That is powerful. You guys belong to each other in Christ. Now, obviously, there's boundaries with that, but the point is, spiritually, we are accountable to one another, we are dependent on one another as God is in us, and we are responsible for one another. That is a huge, important truth, that the members belong to each other and ultimately to Christ. Picture the early church in Acts chapter 2, Verse 42, you remember that famous phrase where it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to gathering together for the fellowship. They were devoted to breaking bread together and to the prayers. And it was that devotion to the fellowship of the church that led to the multiplication, right? God blessed that devotion to the body. Now, really quickly, I want to point out two common misconceptions when it comes to being a member of Christ's body, the church. And one of those misconceptions is that I don't really need to be here. Like, I can, I can just kind of go when I want to church and watch church online or get some podcasts here, some worship music in the car there, but I don't really need to be there. That is, I think, pretty common in our culture. And at the same time, there is another misconception that would say simply showing up to church is enough. Like, that's it. I don't need to do anything else other than just to be here, and if I sit in the seat for the two hours that we're here, then I'm good. But those are two ditches, and the truth, the important path that we want to walk on is to say that your participation in the body is so important to each other. It is so important to each other because God has so designed it that he would reveal himself to each one of us in unique ways for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12, right? He meets with each one of us in particular ways with particular giftings with the very intention that we would share that with one another. Again, it's completing that circuit. 
if he gives you a gift and you withhold it, the love of God is not being completed in you. It's being short-circuited. And at the same time, if you are neglecting to be with the people of God, Hebrews chapter 10 says that we must not neglect the gathering of the saints, right? As some are in the habit of doing. We must not neglect it, but we need to consider how to stir one another up to do love and good works. He says we need to consider it. Like, we have to think about it. We have to be intentional about it. This takes effort. Consider how to stir one another up, encouraging one another all the more as the day of the Lord's return is approaching. Encouraging one another all the more. I need that encouragement. Do you guys need that encouragement? Mm -hmm. Every day, Hebrews 3 says, we need encouragement daily so that we might not give in to the deceit of sin. And what is one of those deceitful lies that the enemy says is that you don't need the church. You don't need to be there. Like, just go listen to a sermon and you'll be fine. But that's a lie. God has intended for us to be together in communion with him and community with one another, completing his love as we pour it out on one another. 1 Peter chapter 4. Would you guys turn there with me? He says in chapter 4, verse 7, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I'm going to say that again. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. When you are with the people of God, your speech is to be bringing life and encouragement and building up one another and pointing all the time back to Christ. Our speech must be giving life and it must be like the oracles of God. Like if, if Jesus was speaking to you right now, is that what your speech to each other is like? Think about that. Do I speak to my brothers and sisters the way the Lord would speak? When I serve one another, am I serving the way the Lord would serve? When you're upstairs in the nursery with the screaming kids and you feel like your hair is going to all fall out, you are serving, you have the opportunity to be serving the way the Lord would serve if you follow the way he is calling you to. Use every opportunity when you're speaking to one another to speak the oracles of God, when you're serving one another to serve as he would serve. 
And he says, love each other deeply, earnestly, not grumbling, showing hospitality to one another. You guys hearing these words like, this is a picture of a deep love, a deep affection for one another, a deep honor of one another, a deep preference of each other. That is the love that God has for us, that active love, that purpose to cross such a great barrier to demonstrate it to us. Have you gone to those lengths to demonstrate the love of God for the members of this body? And I want to say, I want to encourage you, there are many, 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 many testimonies of this happening, even as Dave shared last week. Many testimonies of you guys doing this. And I want to say, good job. That is honoring to the Lord. That is glorifying to the Lord. And we want more of it. We want to demonstrate his love more and more and more. Because every time we do, what does Peter say? He says, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus. Our love poured out on one another brings glory to Jesus. And that's what it's all about. And it's all with the result that we bear fruit as a church. When we love the Lord, our God, with our whole self, we value that communion with him. We cannot help but love one another the way that he loves us. And as we grow in that depth of love for each other, we cannot help but go out in the streets and take that love to more people. Remember, the, the multiplication is the fruit. It's the harvest of that love. It all begins with God. Not that we have loved him, but that he loved us first. And then we complete that love as we pour it out and take that love to those who don't know him. I just want to read again from John chapter 17, verse 23. This is how the church multiplies. He says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. And love them even as you loved me. The loving unity of this church family is the thing that the Lord uses to bring fruit. That is the thing that the world looks at and says, I don't know this type of love, but I want to. I've never experienced anything like this before, but I need that love. I want to close with a quick story. And a quote to that point. Um, and I really don't want to share this story, but one of our pastor friends made me promise that I would share it, so I'm going to, because I promised that I would. So when Caitlin and I were flying back from Israel, we met a girl in the airport who was, she wasn't lost, but she was on the same flight as us, and she was kind of like tagging along with our group. And so we saw her just kind of like following along behind us. And Caitlin and I went to go have a conversation with her to find out more about her. And so as we began talking with her, 
uh, we got to know a little bit of her story, and she told us that she was traveling to D.C. to study, and like immediately as she's talking, she looks lost, she looks anxious, she looks nervous, and I feel the Lord saying like, go out of your way to help this girl. Go out of your way to demonstrate my love. And so Kate and I just kind of look at each other and like, yeah, okay. Can we give you a ride to wherever you're going? We have our car at the airport waiting for us. Like, we'll take you. How are you going to get there? And she says, well, I'm supposed to take a bus, but it's going to be like two hours. And we're like, don't worry about it. If you're okay with this, we'll drive you there. And so she was, she was willing to do that. And so for the second leg of our flight, she was farther up in the plane. And Kate and I were just praying for her. And um, this is a girl from Istanbul, Turkey. And she is a Muslim girl who's the daughter of an imam. And we were praying, like, Lord, would you give us just opportunities to speak the name of Jesus, to share your love, to demonstrate your love. We just want to be faithful to do it. And um, so we got there, and she had to go through the customs, the international customs. And so we all, like, breeze through the U.S. customs in, like, 10 minutes. And then she's there for, like, probably at least an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And we're, we're like, we're in this. Like, we're just going to wait for you. And we want to wait for you. And, like, don't feel bad. We're here for this. And so we kind of camped out, waited for her to get through. And even just that alone, she was like, I can't believe you guys waited for me. I'm amazed that you would wait for me. And, and so got her luggage, continued through the airport. And she said, I asked if we could take her to a store to get anything she needed. She says, the only thing I need is a charger adapter for my phone and sunscreen. I forgot to bring those two things. Lo and behold, those are like two things that we bought just for that trip that we weren't going to use after that. And we have them sitting right there in our backpack like, hey, we have those exact things. I want you to have them. And she, again, she's like amazed. Like, why would you give this to me? This is so kind. But we were so eager to do it. So then we get in the car and... It was supposed to be an hour, ends up being close to two hours because of D.C. traffic. We're going downtown D.C., so we're just stuck in the car for that long, and she wants to know what we do, and so I'm explaining that I'm a pastor, and she's like, uh, what? Why? You don't look like one. I'm not sure how to take that, but um, then she wants to know why I became a pastor, and so I had this amazing, like, we prayed for this opportunity, here it is. She just sets us up for it. And so I begin to share my testimony of how I ended up here and how the Lord called me to do this and how amazing he is and how Jesus saves. And we just go into the whole story. And um, she wasn't super excited to hear about Jesus being a Muslim. She was very kind, very nice to listen to everything we shared and asked a lot of questions. Um, and then we dropped her off and we were on our way. But before we left, she said that she wanted to come to Pennsylvania to visit the Amish people. And so Kate's like, hey, I'll give you my number. I will come down and pick you up to take you to see the Amish people. And so last week, she reached out, and it, it all worked out that Caitlin could drive down there to Maryland, pick her up, bring her back, stay at our house, show her around Philly, take her to Lancaster, and then they were off to New York, or she was off to New York. But let me just share this. One person turned it into three people because as she was about to get picked up, she said, there's these two other girls that have nowhere to go. Can they come to your house also? And of course, we're like, yes. Like, we, we'd like, 
have been praying that we could run into you again and have this time, and now it's three of you. And so it was just an incredible time of sharing stories about our family and explaining why we believe in Jesus, why we follow him, and it was like question after question over two days, and none of them came to the Lord yet, but there were so many questions, and they kept saying, the way that you guys love each other as a family, the way that you've been so kind to me, I will never forget it. This is life-changing. I'm telling all my friends about you. And all of that to say, again, I didn't want to share that. I don't like to say that stuff about myself. But the point is that that love didn't come from me. Like, I didn't want to necessarily wait for her in the airport after getting off that plane. I didn't want to drive downtown D.C., the opposite direction of where I was going. But the Lord is just filling me with love for her in that moment. Like, demonstrate my love. Show her who I am. Care for her. Go out of your way. Go to the great lengths as far as you can that she might know the love of God. And so I just wanted to put that out there, like, as a testimony that when you ask the Lord to do these things, he will answer you. And then he calls you to be faithful in those. He calls you to that moment of sacrifice when you don't want to do it. And it's not comfortable all the time or ever. But that's what he calls us to. That active love that is self-sacrificing, that is purposeful, it's intentional, and it's all pointing back to the Lord, right? So that's my story about my new friend, and I would appreciate if you guys continue praying for her. She's back in Turkey now, where we have friends who are missionaries, and so, like, hey, she could could, uh, have more encounters with Christians where she is. We could go visit there. There's just, the possibilities are endless, but this is the way the Lord works. He fills us with his love. It overflows to other people, and then he uses that love to bring them to himself. All right? Last quote, and then we're going to sing a song to close. A.W. Tozer writes that all Christians have tried to speak of God's love, but none has ever done it very well. I can do no more justice to that awesome and wonder-filled theme than a child can grasp a star. Still, by reaching toward the star, the child may call attention to it and even indicate the direction one must look to see it. So as I stretch my heart toward the high, shining love of God, someone who has not before known about it may be encouraged to look up and have hope. Lord, I pray this morning, this afternoon, Lord, that you would stir this love up within us. Lord, I pray, even as you have convicted me this week of all the times that I have fallen short of going to those sacrificial lengths to love my brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that you would bring that conviction to our hearts now. Give us a hunger for more of that love. Lord, give us an eagerness to go to those people across those barriers that we might show them the love of God. Lord, that we might call attention to that shining star of your love so that others would want it, that they would be um, just so eager to have what we have. Lord, would we be so prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within us, for the love that is within us, Um, as even as we go out this Friday Lord fill us with that love in greater measure help us to know it 
Help us to show it. Lord, I'm so eager for this church to be deep in love, not only with our Creator, with our Savior, but with one another, deeply affectionate for one another, Lord, serving one another, honoring one another, devoting ourselves to caring for one another. So, Lord, please help us with that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You have anything you want to say, Dan? I think we need to receive that word being aware of the familiarity that we have with people. You see that same person on the street, that same nagging neighbor, you know, that same person with the same issues. You look at our neighborhood, it's the same people with the same problems over and over again, and we become callous to actually loving them. Um, and I think all the more that the, 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 the way through that is not to just be like, oh, I gotta love more, I gotta love more, I gotta love more. It's to become more familiar with the love that has been given you from the Father. Vulnerable communion leads to this intentional community. It's your relationship with him that'll soften your heart to them, in other words. That's the flow of it. That's the uh, completing the circuit. You got to be connected to the power source, right? You, you correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> you got to be connected to the power source. And from the power source comes the circuit. For from him and through him and back to him then are all things. So as you love on Selma, right, and her friends, it's going to. Go back to the Lord. It's going to honor him. God is going to be seen, as 1 John 4 says. So be careful of the familiarity. Don't, like, uh, don't just get kind of in, in the rut of just the norm of seeing people as you always see them. No, as you are loved on, say, Lord, I want your love to now inform how I view others. May it be, may it be. God, give us eyes to see others as you see them. Um, and may it be that as we're connected into the power source of your love and your care that informs and gives shade to and color to how we view others. Let your love, as you've given it to us, flow through us to one another. As it relates to mission, but also as it relates to community here, Lord, the offenses that we inevitably carry in community with one another. Lord, let him be under the blood. Let him find a place to die under the blood. Like, what offenses do we have to carry with one another when we've been loved so incredibly by you? Lord, it's, it's as if your love drowns out our own offenses. Love covers a multitude of sins and spurs on a unity that is only of heaven can't be manufactured by earth, by human, by flesh. It is something divine. It is something heavenly. It is something that comes by your love and your love alone. So Lord, unify us together as a beautiful church body. Unify us in your love for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh,
just want to go back to that first Peter 4 passage. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. It's going to cost something. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace to you all.